Welcome to Global Health and Childhood Cancer. I'm your host, Mark Zobeck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I have a great conversation to present to you, and I know I say that mm, probably every single time because every single episode is great, and this one's no different. Today on the podcast, we are going to talk to Bindu Nair, who founded a nonprofit organization called Aro, which operates in India to provide financial and other types of support to childhood cancer patients. And so we just talk about how it was founded, how it came to be, what kind of needs they meet, that kind of stuff. But I think it's a really important conversation to have because to treat childhood cancer, it can't just be the medical team treating it. And I've talked about this in the past on podcasts, that it takes a whole community to successfully treat a cancer patient. And a major part of the community are these nonprofit organizations, or us refer to them on the show as non-governmental organizations or NGOs. They can play an incredibly powerful role in filling gaps and meeting needs that the healthcare system itself or the parents themselves may not be able to meet. So this is not part of the childhood cancer story that we've told yet on the podcast, which is why I was excited to talk to her. And you can hear about the incredible things they're doing and the success that they've had. Um, And then you'll also hear us reflect some about the nature of collaboration and what makes for a successful NGO that can support childhood cancer patients. So anyone out there thinking about this topic and thinking about how they might be able to do the same, you may hear some interesting pearls of wisdom from Bindu from what she has learned in her time running Aro. Okay, and lastly, let me remind everybody that we do have social media channels. We are on Twitter at GHCCPod. Uh, We are on Facebook. You can just look for us at Global Health and Childhood Cancer in the search box. And we also have a YouTube channel where we are making videos to illustrate in a different way the types of things we are learning here on the podcast. So go check us out on YouTube as well. All right. After hearing a little bit about our sponsors, then we will get to the conversation. Parents of children who have cancer have many questions after diagnosis. Why does my child have cancer? Or how did she get it? But one of the most important questions that parents and providers want to answer is will she receive the best treatment possible? Every parent wants their child to receive the best care possible, and I know that every healthcare worker wants that as well. Unfortunately, cancer is a very complex disease to treat, and the quality of the care provided can always be improved. This is one of the main reasons why Resonance Oncology was founded. Its mission is to amplify the health of cancer patients through supporting clinical research, education, and a variety of quality improvement projects. Resonance and its network of experts facilitate local research and evidence-based practices through the deployment of information systems, mentoring, and statistical support that has helped improve outcomes with colleagues and customers in North America, South America, Africa, and Asia. I know the founders of Resonance personally, and believe me when I say, This is more than a business for them. They are passionate about improving cancer care around the world. The proof of their passion is that they offer their software solutions 100% for free for use in low- and middle-income countries. 100% for free 
no strings attached. So if you have an idea on how to improve care where you work, especially if you're in a low or middle income country, but you're not certain how to get it done, or you just need additional support to do it, then contact the team at Resonance Oncology today. So to contact them, you can email them at info at resonancehealth.org, or you can go to the website www.amplifyinghealth.com, and you can look for these links in the podcast description in your podcast player. So use these links to schedule an appointment with Resonance Oncology to learn more about their mission and how they may assist you in providing the best care possible. Hello, everybody. I'm here with Bindu Nair, who is with Otto, and she's going to tell us about the work that they do. So first, I will let her introduce herself. Uh, Bindu, can you go ahead and let us know who are you, what do you do in Otto, and then we'll go from there. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much, Mark. Uh, my name is Bindu Nair, and I am based in a small city called Coimbatore in the south of India. And I'm the founder and the managing trustee of Aro. It's an NGO for childhood cancer, children with cancer and their families. And we started seven years back. Okay, very good. Um, so give us a little background on Aro. How did you get involved in the childhood cancer world and come to um, form this organization? Yeah, uh, it happened because I was uh, running the Make-A-Wish Foundation of India, Coimbatore Division, for 10 years before I started Aro. Uh, so I joined Make-A-Wish in 2003, ran it for 10 years till 2013. So even though it was Make-A-Wish actually works for children with life-threatening diseases, I used to see more of cancer kids at that time. And the parents used to ask for help, and uh, we were supposed to only grant a wish and not uh, do any other kind of monetary help. Definitely was not supposed to be done from Make-A-Wish. So after some years, I started noticing that they were, they were not being helped by anyone. There was no NGO in the city actually helping the cancer kids. So after 10 years, I felt that I could do something more than granting wishes. And uh, then the first thing that popped into my mind were the parents who were continuously asking for help. And uh, so I decided to start Aro with two of my uh, like-minded friends. So we started it in 2013, immediately after I resigned from Ekovish. So that's how I came into this. Okay, very good. That's interesting, your background in philanthropy, but in a certain type of philanthropy that didn't seem to quite meet the needs of the kids where they were. Um, what yeah. was it about, like, what was the difference with Make-A-Wish that made you say, hmm, there seems to be something more that is needed here? Basically, Make-A-Wish is only granting the wishes of a child who has a life-threatening disease. So you're not supposed to give counseling. You're not supposed to help in any other way. You're even supposed to break the connection with the child once you have granted the wish. So I've done that for 10 years and I, our division has granted more than 2,000 wishes. Mm. But at the end of the day, I, I don't know, I, I actually felt very stagnated at that point. I felt that I could do something more than just granting wishes. I'm not saying that that's not a great thing. It was a great thing. Make-A-Wish actually taught me everything about running an NGO. But I felt that I could do more. That's good. Um, okay, so you said there seems to be more that needs to be done, particularly with kids with cancer. Um, so yes. what happened next? 
I actually talked to two of my friends uh, because they were all connected with Make-A-Wish. So it, it started as kind of like a brainstorming session. You know? All of us sat together, started talking about it and thought about whether we can start it. There was the question of money, who will do the investment in the beginning to start it off, things like that. And then we thought, we decided that we can actually do it. So one of the trustees is a childhood friend of mine. And he is actually based in Muscat, Oman. And I called him up and I told him all these things. And he said, you go ahead and start it. I am putting up the money. And uh, another friend is from Make-A-Wish. He used to be a volunteer there. And we were, we are like-minded. We, our uh, visions were the same. So um, that's how we started. And uh, luckily, because I was working in the same field, I was meeting the same doctors, same hospitals. The transition from Make-A-Wish to Aro was very smooth for me. I didn't have any problems of starting a new NGO. I didn't have to introduce it to anyone because I already knew the playing field. Yeah, that's great that your background in philanthropy and your networks yeah. like paved yeah. the way to do something where, you know, meet another type of need. Um, yes. Excellent. So go ahead and tell us about Otto. What kind of work do you do specifically? What does your organization hope to achieve? Yeah, uh, when we started, we were very clear that we were going to do the uh, medical support, which was the biggest thing at that time. Uh, and I have to admit that I, we all jumped into it, not realizing the depth and the scope uh, that we needed to cover. Actually, it actually came out very organically. We learned on the way. So we started with medical support. Then we realized that a lot of people didn't have enough to eat when they're admitted in the hospital, especially that the child will be getting the food from the hospital. But what about the bystander, the caretaker? These are all daily wage laborers. So if they are going to be admitted, the child is going to be admitted in the hospital for a month. That means the mother and father, if the very small child, then both the parents are not going to work. And how will they eat? So we started providing food to the caretaker. So that happened next and then we realized that sometimes there is there's no change of clothes. There's not even uh, enough clothes. Then we started buying that. Then we re- then we started noticing that sometimes the child is not wearing a footwear. Then we started buying that. So it it started with medical support, and now it is it's it's a very holistic kind of uh, care. Now we just provide whatever they don't have. So after the treatment is over, or when they're discharged from the hospital, we even give a grocery bag every month. For the next one year to make sure that the child is eating well, uh, nutritious uh, food is given to the child so that chances of relapse are less. And so every day it is new, new things and we keep adding a lot of things to our work. So major projects are actually medical support, food and nutrition, psychosocial support and education. These are the four major areas. I think that covers almost everything that we do. And we have a survivors forum now, kids who have finished the treatment and have crossed the five-year, seven-year marks. And we mentor them. We, we treat them as family. And for them also, Aro is their extended family. They come to us for everything because they've been with us for seven years now. We've seen them growing from small kids to young men and women now. That's beautiful. And where are you guys? How many hospitals or what geographic region are you covering? Okay, we started at Coimbatore, which is a small uh, city. It's a tier two city actually in uh, India, in South India. And over the last seven years, we have expanded to all of South India, which is uh, four states in India and around 252 million people, which is one fifth of India's population. Wow. And we are in more than 25 hospitals covering more than maybe 1,000, 1,500 kids. Oh my goodness, that is enormous. (laughs) 
uh, here the childhood cancer burden uh, of India is enormous. Can you tell us a little more about that? Actually, according to the 2019 WHO report, India actually leads the world with the highest number of childhood cancer cases. There are estimated 50,000 to 60,000 new cases per year in India. And uh, I'm sure, we are all sure that um, maybe an equal number must be going unreported. Yeah. So even when we say that childhood cancer is only 5 to 7 percentage of all cancers with India's population, and also because of the fact that in 2020, India is the India will be the youngest country in the world with more than 46 percentage of population below 25. The median age will be 29, I believe. Wow. 26 percentage will be below the age group of 14. Yeah. And can you tell us a little bit more about the situations that families find themselves in uh, when they are seeking care? Like, do a lot of families have insurance or have uh, means to pay for care? It sounds like they don't have a lot of people have trouble with this extra stuff like food and housing. But uh, what about the care itself? Yeah, the care itself in India, it works two ways. There is a national health cover and then every state will have a different health care policy. So the center a year back, I think, has come up with world's largest healthcare policy, which actually gives quite a lot of money uh, for below poverty line patients to be treated in any hospital in India. And apart from that, there is a state insurance scheme also that varies from state to state. So we are working in four states and we see different uh, policies in four different states. So a majority of the Treatment will be covered in a government uh, hospital. The problem is that pediatric oncology as such is a very new field in India. Very few hospitals will have pediatric oncology department. Most of the cases are treated in the oncology department. For all the statistics that I have given you earlier, we have less than 200 pediatric oncologists in all of India. So majority of the cases are treated by medical oncologists and not by pediatric oncologists. So only the tier one metro cities will have these hospitals with speciality. So getting the people from a remote village to the city itself is a big task. That is where I think we lose a lot of cases. Most of them are not even reported. Once they come in, if they go to a medical college, government medical college, everything is covered. They don't have to pay anything. But is the treatment world-class in all the medical colleges, government medical colleges? Definitely not. That is where the problem is. So when the parents actually decide not to go to the government hospitals and come to the private hospitals is when they need money, actually. Because more the entire uh, treatment will not be covered by the insurance, then the state insurance. Then. And because they opt for a private hospital, they can't actually ask for a lot of insurances. That's when the problem comes. I see. And so are you primarily in private hospitals or do you do both? I get, maybe I missed what you said earlier. Uh, we do a mix. Because okay. from something that I personally have understood is that whether you have money or not, as a parent, your emotions about your child doesn't change, right? Yeah. You could be you could be Bill Gates or a, a you know, tuk-tuk driver. You want the best for your child. So Absolutely. If, if, yeah. So if the if the tuk-tuk driver decides that I know that this government uh, hospital is not good enough and my child will get a better treatment in that private hospital, he will end up there. 
so we see that mm. 65 to 70 percentage of all private hospital these are all world class hospitals have actually poor children actually mm. coming there and childhood cancer itself is more prevalent in lower economic conditions right mm. so the cases itself are coming more from that background so 65 to 70 percentage of all cases that we see in the best hospitals are from very poor background wow i see that's that's difficult i mean it, it's also beautiful that you know you see the families doing whatever they have to to care for their kids yes and the cost keeps going on as you know if there are admissions admissions in between the treatment if yeah. the child is neutropenic if there's an infection so there is no limit to the amount of money that they might need to spend the initial estimate uh, can go whichever way actually through the treatment so the um, state insurance and the central insurance uh, might not even cover it because cancer treatment is very expensive in india yeah absolutely yeah. okay it's not a full coverage that's the problem it's not a universal uh, health coverage even for the uh, poor it's not a full coverage there's a cap on the amount mm, i see and where do you see families uh, coming up with the money if they're going to these private hospitals um i mean you know obviously your organization now exists to support them but how else do they cope again when they start they have no clue as to what they are entering into because all the all the parents that we see have learned about childhood cancer or heard that word for the first time when their child is diagnosed not before that so they've no clue as to what they're getting into so the first uh, day of the diagnosis and then the later in that week when they are counseled by everyone in the hospital the social workers obviously everything goes above their head and and then this resolve sets in thinking that it's my child i'll do whatever needs to be done however much the money is i'll bring some i'll i'll bring it in somehow and we'll treat it problem and and they will start you know dipping into their savings they will sell the property they will pawn the gold they will start borrowing then they are they are in it for a long haul which they don't realize in the beginning especially if it is ALL and all that it goes on for two and a half to three years so during that time at some point they will exhaust all their resources that's when we come in that's what we keep seeing that happens with maybe slightly better background as in a middle class or just lower middle class and most of the people have nothing to even start with then if they come to us or we happen to meet them then we take it over so there are lots of kids where we are supporting 100% because the family can't spare anything so uh, the presentation in sio was about such a child actually if you remember yes i i remember it was quite the story of getting the child yeah. um to the hospital which maybe yes. we'll have you share that in a second and share some of your other success stories but first yeah. i want to ask how do you come into contact with the patients are you referred by the medical team or is it through the great fine okay so how uh, basically we work is uh, if any hospital has uh, more than 100 new cases per year then we give a social worker to the department so the oh. social worker is placed inside the hospital like you fund the uh, social worker yeah we give the salary but the social worker will report to one doctor in the department whoever treats the children if there's a pediatric oncologist definitely to the pediatric oncologist otherwise usually the hematologist who will have the most number of cases and will work according to the rules and regulations of the hospital but it is an aroh staff 
that is how we work uh, so because that person is there in the department throughout she or he will see all the cases wow if the hospital doesn't have enough children as in less than 100 new cases per year and there is no need for a full time social worker then our social workers from the office will go and meet the children every week we visit all the hospitals we cover all the hospitals wow so if we miss someone definitely the social worker they the hospital might have a social worker uh, they have a system they the nurses someone will report it to us the doctors someone so whichever way we cover everything wow and how big is your organization now like how many uh, people do you have working for you or involved we have the total number must be it is not that big uh, mark because we are we have around 15 people so we give nurses data managers and pharmacists also to the department if that will enhance the uh, performance of the department yeah uh, mostly to the government hospitals maybe when there is a shortage of human resource and i have to acknowledge the fact that we are able to do this because we have a capacity building funding from an of organizations in the us called ajivdaya foundation it's based in texas and uh, it is uh, founded and run by an indian um, medical oncologist who is settled there so what they do is they do capacity building for pediatric oncology in india and what so was the name they, of the organization jivdaya it is j i v d a y a jivdaya j d f it's called j d f okay great their foundation and uh, dr vinay jain okay. is the person who started it so this is what they do for pediatric oncology in india Uh, wow. so instead of uh, contacting each and every hospital in india they will have designated ngos like us through which they will place their staff mm-hmm. and i don't have to worry about the admin cost of paying the salary wow. i can just go and talk to the hospitals and expand wow yeah that's that's incredible do you have other funding mechanisms um like are you primarily donor based do you have grants or some other mechanism um yes it is more or less a donor based thing because my network of donors who were with me in makeovish actually came with me when i started aro uh, that is how i started it off actually so there is a big network of individual donors but we have something called i don't know whether us have it we have something called csr which is the corporate social responsibility mm-hmm. yeah. uh, so our funding comes through csr also okay which for listeners who don't know uh, csr is actual corporations have a philanthropic arm or a, a unit that gives money to charities is that correct yes. for india too yeah yeah it is uh, if they have more than a certain percentage of profit they are supposed to give 2 percentage of that back to the community right yeah I, i'm not sure what it is for the us probably yeah. something yeah. similar yeah yeah okay so uh, and i have registered aro in us also and we have 501c3 there yeah uh, actually my friends in us uh, have done that excellent so we have a board So we raise funds there also okay. uh, for the Indian community. Yeah, I see. So U.S. based donors can also make uh, yeah. philanthropic donations. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Um, yeah. Any U.S. based donors? If you are thinking, listening to this, <laughs> yeah. and thinking about it, um, yes. we will have information about Auto on the website ghccpod.com. Yes. So don't forget to go there and check out um, all of these incredible things they're doing. Um, okay. So. I think we've got a, a fairly good understanding of the context you're operating in in India over a wide geographic spread with a lot of people that you are covering. And 
you know, so the need is enormous and it sounds like you, you through your network of contacts, you've built something that seems to be pretty robust and um, is meeting a, a very real uh, need for the families. So can you tell us yeah. some uh, some stories of success that you've had, some examples of these different areas that you specialize in, like you said, the med- uh, medical support and food or housing, those types of things. Just paint a picture for us of what uh, what it's like um, encountering these okay. families. Okay, uh, so the medical support, as I said, is the first and foremost, because I think all the rest comes only if the child is alive, right? So the first uh, step is to get the correct treatment. So the moment the child is diagnosed, uh, if our social worker is there, then immediately the social worker assess the situation, the economic situation, and um, it goes on for maybe a week or two. And we, with the parents, we come to an understanding of Okay, this is the uh, estimated cost, and how much of it will it will be given by from your side? How much help should we give? That kind of an understanding comes, and then we help them accordingly. We actually pay directly to the hospital, never to the parents. So if they say that it is say eight hundred thousand Indian rupees will be the cost for an ALL treatment, and if they say that okay, we will be able to bring in uh, five hundred thousand, then we will tell them that okay, three hundred thousand will be given from us, and then we actually chart out kind of a you know step by step process, as in how many men- months they will be paying, how many months we will be paying, so that we know in advance, they know in advance when to bring in the money. Sometimes there is nothing from their part, and then. We take up the whole thing. In that case, actually, we start a campaign on social media, like the U.S. donors. Everyone will be given a small write-up about the need, and we start raising funds. So that is how we do the uh, medical uh, support. And all the clubs uh, help us, the Rotary, the Lions Club, the Inner Wheel. A lot of clubs actually are huge supporters. So we actually, through social media, we spread the message. If the parents are okay with it, with a photograph of a child asking for help. And most of the time, we are able to raise the entire treatment cost for the children, actually. The second will be food and nutrition is the second thing. Uh, That what we do is we actually tie up with the uh, cafeteria of the hospitals so that the parents, whoever is the bystander, mother or the father, can go and have three meals from there and we pay the bill so that they don't have to worry about where to get the food. And monthly, we settle the bill. So we have this arrangement with most of the hospitals, uh, hospital cafeterias. And uh, in Kerala, which is the southernmost state of India from where actually I come, but I stay in the next state, which is Tamil Nadu. So in Kerala, uh, the Kerala Hotel and Restaurant Owners Association actually gives free food all over Kerala. So we just need to actually identify who runs the cafeteria. Cafeterias are usually taken on contract by people from outside. The hospitals very rarely run it. So we just need to identify that person and uh, KHR, the Kerala Hotel and Restaurant Honors Association will contact that person and ask that person to give free food to the parents and KHRA pays. So this part is actually a huge amount you can imagine actually plus we give whatever other new nutritional support that we need to do uh, we actually give dry fruits uh, fresh fruits you know health drinks whichever the doctor allows and the child likes we provide that inside the hospital and then after the treatment we give grocery bag with almost everything that a family will need for a month every month for a year to make sure that the child eats properly to to families who might not be able to do that. 
um so that is the food and nutrition uh, the third will be the psycho social support of course uh, the counseling uh, part of it goes throughout the treatment and beyond that because we have lots of programs under that we have a survivors forum which is very active we meet uh, once a month we have a very big parent support group also again we meet every month in our office but this is done only in coimbatore uh, in other parts of the south indian cities where the social workers are placed inside the hospital alone the parent support group happens in the ward but in coimbatore it is more vibrant because these are parents from different hospitals and different parts of the states so we have around 100 to 150 uh people coming for our monthly parent support group meetings and we are running out of space in our office we are actually every month asking for someone to sponsor a hall or something so that we can have the psg meetings outside so along with that we'll have this survivor uh, forum meetings we have a siblings program we have a child psychologist working with us and so it is basically they come every month and unburden themselves because this is one place they feel that they can talk freely about their problems because the other person perfectly understands it the fourth is education so we support the education of all our children once they go back to school and we have another organization doing that for us so we just need to give the details of the children their school fees their college uh, university fees to that organization and they pay the fees directly to the schools and universities so that that burden is not with us but it it is a tie up with our So that is a brief overview of our projects. Wow. Yeah, that's fairly comprehensive that what you have to offer. So that's incredible. Yeah. And yeah. do you have a story to share that kind of illustrates uh how you help a family? I I know you told that story at Psyops yeah. either that one or maybe someone else that comes to mind. Um I would like to actually talk about that story itself because no one has heard that because that actually gives a fair idea of uh how, what we do and how how we do things is that okay? Absolutely. Yeah. Whatever I am talking about about Arohan India is about the South India. It's very important to for the listeners to understand that there is nothing general about India. It's very diverse. So South is very different from North in many ways. In everything that I am talking about is the South of India which is much much more developed than uh, North of India. So we don't see i haven't seen any gender discrimination so far in my work i have never seen a parent not treating a child because the child is a girl i have never seen anything like that it's the opposite gender discrimination and problems might exist in north india we don't see that so we deal with a different uh, set of problems so this one child her she is 13 years old her name is sanghavi we got actually her number from the government medical college hospital So what we do is um, when our social workers go there every week they see whoever is there in the op or admitted that day plus the hospital allows us to go through the op register uh, so that we can see if any child was diagnosed and then left uh, not continuing the treatment there so we take details of those children we call them up we find out actually whether they have gone somewhere else to get treatment so as long as they are getting treatment somewhere we leave it but we make sure that they are getting treatment so that's how we got her number and i called her up immediately because she was from coimbatore town itself so we called her up and uh, they said they are at home 
they are not in any hospital so uh, we actually asked them whether we can come over and see her and they said okay and we went there and um, then we found out that uh, they have decided not to treat they have decided to go for some alternative medicine which is very cheap and the mother is a widow a young lady there's one more boy and she works as a cook in one of the houses earning maybe i think 10 dollars a month and with that she pays the rent uh, for a you know two room house that they have and she sends both the children to a government school and uh, they have just enough to eat um, and her husband's family who they all stay around they give all the other support apart from money because they don't have money to do that so she told me very clearly that no they are not planning to take the child back to the hospital and the child was very sick that day so she could hardly sit up so she had one blood infusion from the hospital because her hg count was very very low other than that nothing was done so we went we did our usual talking we told them that no we will help and you need to treat the child and it was all everything was done but evening she called me up and she told me thank you and all that but we are sticking with this alternative uh, medicine and we are not planning to treat and this continued for actually 5 days every day morning we were there in the house we'll be there till afternoon and we have offered every help we kept saying that you bring the child to the hospital we will help and all that and by evening she will emit, she will again call me and she'll say sorry but we are sticking with our plan we are not doing this and we were feel very frustrated we couldn't find out why we couldn't break through to the mother and why a mother is refusing to help the child and she was reasonably educated also the mother and the child is very smart and very bright and she was just scared to go to the hospital there was nothing else and she knew she has uh, cancer also but she was scared of the whole thing she didn't want to go to the hospital and every day the child became sicker and sicker so the by the fourth day i actually changed our uh, you know tactics and i started telling her very bluntly that if you delay any more the child is going to die are you aware of that i mean it's it's a question of just few days and uh, she kept quiet and the fourth day evening also she said the same thing um, i think you shouldn't waste your time anymore uh, ma'am we are not going to treat and then the fifth day i thought this is the last day we will try i i didn't know what to do so again i called her aside and i kept asking can you open up and tell me what the problem is actually we are we are offering the help why are you saying no then she very very matter of fact she told me that you keep saying that you will help i don't know how much you are going to help even if you ask me to bring in 500 rupees i don't have that so how how, how do i treat my child uh, depending on your word of help you don't understand my situation i have i have no one to support me and we were all so shocked and i personally felt very ashamed that i never thought of that she said because of that i can't and then i actually apologized and i said i'm really sorry i i didn't realize that and we are telling you that you don't have to do anything the entire cost we are going to bear and then she said even then there's a problem because then i have to go sit with her in the hospital then i will not be able to go to work and who will pay the rent of my house if i don't pay the rent where do i come back to after the treatment and uh, that that is actually a big problem so i told her that okay then we are giving you um, an amount it was 5000 rupees uh, which is around um, 8 um 8 to 9 dollars i said we will give that every month to you so that you can pay the rent and you will have some extra cash you don't worry about that 
and i said now is everything all the problems over and then she said yes and i said okay tomorrow morning 10 o'clock we told her the hospital name i said i'm sending the social workers they will come and take the child in a cab and uh, you don't worry about anything and uh, she finally agreed and she kept calling me up to again and again ask me like ma'am is it is it 100% true that i don't have to bring in any money we kept reassuring her we came back and maybe an hour later so she actually i told her that if you keep her like this you know the child will start bleeding then she told me the child is already bleeding she said the uh, periods uh, started some 10 days back and has not stopped and uh, so by the time we came back that lady called uh, for the first time she broke down and she said she is unconscious she fainted and uh, please do something for my child and then we asked them to actually bring the child to the emergency ward to the same hospital the social workers went there and she was in a very bad condition so she was admitted and she was made stable within the next 2 3 days everything was going well uh, then the results showed that actually it is not all and it is aml aml means uh, the money actually jumps uh, from the 800000 to maybe 1200000 or more than that uh, and and the difference as you know is the other one is over two and a half years and this is over six months and i needed to immediately give the money uh, that was actually this was on a friday and monday if the chemo needed to be started i had to pay 500000 on monday which was in no way possible actually uh, for the organization and the doctors all they all knew that and they were also like actually the doctor called me up and told me like bindu you better sit down it's bad news and then he told me this and he said you think about it um what to do like i don't advise you to treat in this hospital because you will not be able to bear the cost but what else uh, do you want to tell the mother we will it, it was my friday evening he said you come to the hospital uh, to, tomorrow morning we will break the news to the mother together in the meantime you think about it uh, what can be done and we were at a total loss because just 3 4 days back we brought them saying that we will take over the entire expense and how could we go back and tell them that no now we can't um i think that was one of the most difficult situations that we've gone through and that evening i don't know i thought about it i started calling up people and then actually through uh, a doctor in us dr jay bos is one of the senior most pediatric oncologists in india who was trained in us he stays in us now uh he is actually associated with jdf foundation uh, he is the medical director for india he actually told me that uh, there is a hospital uh, where he has actually started the pediatric oncology department and they have a fund uh, for these kind of children where it will be done 100% free so somewhere in the middle of the night we have called up the other hospital talked to the, the doctor there and he also said bring the child tomorrow morning uh, don't worry about it we'll take care of it and that city was around 200 kilometers away from coimbatore so then we didn't know whether the mother will agree to that uh, this itself was very difficult but anyway in the morning i was there in the hospital at 8 o'clock i actually went with the doctor when they went for the rounds and asked the mother to come out said sat her down the doctor explained and said uh, this madam can't do the treatment now but we have arranged for it to be treated freely somewhere else is that okay with you and uh, she just said 
this lady she pointed to me and said she asked me to come here now she's asking me to go to this other city i'll just go and it was as simple as that and uh, uh, immediately we arranged for the social worker to go along with them the child was taken to the other hospital admitted and then it uh, was learned that it is actually a mid risk aml and bmt was suggested and uh, the brother was tested uh, he was a half match but then uh, they approached uh, uh, registry bone marrow registry and a full match donor was there and the first screening was done everything was done the child was ready to go for the bmt and the donor backed out for whatever reason then the process again began and the brother was actually again selected though it is a half match bmt is done sankhavi is doing very well now she is discharged from the hospital uh, but the doctor has advised her to stay in that city for 3 more months for checkup so we have rented a house for sangavi and her mother we are paying the rent we are buying her groceries we are paying for everything now uh, the hospital's free treatment part is over the checkups everything we do this month end if she is uh, all okay i think she will be back in coimbatore Wow. <laughs> My goodness, that is quite the journey with her. Um, it is. I cannot imagine as a parent facing that kind of situation of saying, well, do I pay rent and take care of the rest of my family or yes. do I spend the money yes. on treatment and time, you know, with yeah. this, obviously, my sick yeah. uh, child. Um, it's yeah. just a testament to how important this kind of work is that you are doing to help make it possible. You know, that at the beginning of the story, they were yes. wondering if they were going to go to the hospital and then you were able to sustain yes. them all the way through transplant. Um, do you have permission from the family to share this girl's story? Yes. Okay. Is that something you hear a lot from the patients? I mean, I, I imagine that the financial question is pretty prominent, but is that same kind of deliberation process like pretty common that you hear from others? uh again in south india this is uh, not the norm mark this mm. is an exception i won't say that this is the norm i see very few cases like this mm. it is always the other way around where even if they don't have anything they decide to treat yeah. thinking that somehow we will do it yeah. um, this is a very rare case i mean we get cases like this where they just go back and sit at home and they just leave it to god think that we can't it's mostly this happens when that first estimate that cost is given and they are told that it 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 is 800000 and it can go up to whatever and that actually kind of like shocks them and they will think about it for few days and they'll decide that however much they try they can't do this there's no point not that they don't want to mm-hmm. but they can't mm. so they give up they give up and they just leave it to god and think that whatever happens let it happen i have had few cases like that where we have gone home and brought them back saying that no we will do it but majority of the cases is they just go ahead and they decide somehow we will do it i see yeah well i mean it sounds very important to be there for both the more rare cases like this one and also the more common cases of just yeah. general yeah. financial strain yeah. as we're well acquainted with yes oh, that's excellent yeah. well thank you for sharing yeah. that so in the kind of last part of our conversation i want to pivot a little yeah. bit 
and mm. ask how you went about building your partnership with the hospitals and with the doctors that you're working with, because a lot of the listeners on this podcast are healthcare providers in some form. And so I think it's important to try to appreciate the dynamic between, you know, community support, so to speak, with, you know, your nonprofit and other groups as with the hospitals and the treatment providers themselves. So how do you go about building those relationships and maintaining those relationships and working together? Um, yeah, actually, that's a very important question because that is what actually sustains the NGO, that partnership. So uh, for our one thing that was on our side was that we came from the Make-A-Wish background and we were already in touch with all these hospitals and doctors. So we didn't have to actually start from scratch in that way. We didn't have to introduce ourselves to these people. They already knew us. So that transition was very smooth for us, luckily. But after that, what we have done is um, once we started working with them after a year or so, what we have done is to we made actually an advisory committee. This is apart from the board of trustees. We made an advisory committee in which all the stakeholders are present. So there are doctors from every hospital. There are social workers. There are parents, donors, survivors. So with that, what we did is we made the doctors part of RO. So now they are part of RO. So it is up to them also to work for RO. Uh, if you... If you understand it, it is like they don't see RO as different now. This is only in Coimbatore because we can't do that with the other cities. I see. Um, I mean, yeah, because of the physical distance and the way we work there. We can't have different, at least till now we haven't started that. Maybe when there are more hospitals in one particular city, we can do that. Now it is like two, three hospitals. So we haven't done that in any other city. Because we started in Coimbatore, the other cities, that expansion expansion happened in only the last two years. So the first five years, we were in Coimbatore alone, uh, in you know, nearby parts of Coimbatore and based in Coimbatore. So this is where we started doing that. The other cities, we haven't started so far because it has been only two years. And every city has only one or two hospitals. In Coimbatore, we have around 10 hospitals. So maybe because this is our base, so we tried it here first. Uh, and we this advisory committee uh, meets every uh, once in three months, where actually everything about RO is presented to the committee, to the parents, to the survivors. So uh, our accounts, our um, plans, what is happening. Uh, and th that there an exchange of ideas also happen, as in the doctors will tell us what they expect from us. Uh, the parents will tell the doctors what they expect from them. It, it is an exchange of that where everyone feels that they are part of Aro. Oh, so wow. if you come to Coimbatore and walk into any hospital in Coimbatore and talk to an oncologist, they, uh, they'll say that, ah, oh, yeah, it's our uh, Aro because they have a say in that. Wow. I love that, that you have a, a forum, so to speak, where both parents, the survivors and the doctors get together yes. to try to yeah. chart yeah. a path and forward. It, yeah. And it brings in transparency also. They know exactly what is happening, here, uh, even the parents. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Are, is there a formal parent group in the area yeah. or does Otto kind of function as that? No, we have a very formal parent support group apart from this. So the parents in the advisory committee will keep changing after every three years. 
we bring in new parents and survivors above 18 years survivors from that will be selected so we have two from each stakeholder group and we have 15 people in the advisory committee so the donors are also there so they can also tell us what they expect from us when they give money it's a very transparent open group so that is a very good way to keep all the stakeholders happy and involved another thing that uh, we do is um, i personally visit all the hospitals once in every 3 months and meet with the doctors even if it is the farthest from coimbatore we do that wow. so it is not like uh, we sit in coimbatore and let them do their work no it is assessed i or another senior member will definitely go and meet with the doctors and i have conference calls with doctors of every hospital once a month as to assess the performance of our social worker there and to generally you know talk about uh, things in their department Excellent. so we actually keep a very close relationship with the doctors yeah so you have the various groups come to you and come together once a quarter but then you also yes. reach out to them and maintain close contact yeah. in that way yes okay. yes Yeah, that's very good. Yeah. Um okay, yeah. well we are coming up on uh, the end of our time, yeah. but you know, the work you've described is so important and I know that it's so important essentially everywhere that, you know, everywhere in the world, every community in the world that yeah. has, you know, children that we're trying to treat with cancer. I mean, these types mm -hmm. of needs are inevitably there. And yeah. so if there is someone listening who's interested in trying to do something similar, you know in their region whether it's other parts of india or even maybe another country what advice mm -hmm. would you have for people thinking about this project i would say that first assess the need of that community i believe that there is no need to um, give help where it is not needed so if there are other organizations working in other fields of pediatric oncology then see which part is lacking and provide that uh because i believe in collaboration uh there is no need to duplicate someone else's work so assess that situation and provide what is lacking then you are already a winner right mhm mm yeah that makes a lot of sense so that is why the education is supported by someone else because that ngo is only for education so we have collaborated with them and they are paying for our uh, kids fees school fees and university fees I believe in that we believe in that in in reaching out to different organization and collaborating with them so that we don't have to do all the work so if in your region there are other organizations already doing parts of this work identify that one part which is not met the needs that is not met with and start on that That's and make all the stakeholders a part of the project yeah That makes a lot of sense and looking back um with that advice looking back on your story it seems like the network that you uh, exist in and have helped to build is a big part of that that there are other people or yes. other organizations doing good work too and so you've seemed to yeah. have uh, established very strong partnerships yes and be always very transparent hmm. uh towards all the stakeholders and especially to the donors because they have every right to know where the money is going they have every right to ask that it is their hard earned money so have a system where you report back to the donors you know with um, um with transparency yeah that's excellent okay well find the right need yeah. build a network with appropriate stakeholders yeah. and uh, yeah please be transparent yeah makes sense yeah 
Okay, very good. Well, um, and so what does the future hold for Aro? Uh, where do you guys go from here now that you are uh, at the wise old age of seven years? <laughs> yes. Um, we are actually looking to add more and more hospitals because, uh, as I've told you in the beginning, the pediatric oncology is just a new field opening up in India. So a lot of new hospitals, a lot of hospitals are starting pediatric oncology recently in the last few years. So more and more hospitals are doing that. In that way, we will keep adding more and more hospitals. That is one of the things. If you ask me, my biggest dream uh, for RO is definitely, I don't know whether this will happen, but it is to have a small uh, hospital in South India in the lines of St. Jude. Maybe not big like St. Jude, but even if it's just a 10-bedded or a 5-bedded hospital where a parent can come in and forget about paying the bill. That is long-term dream. Let's see. Yeah, that's a fantastic vision. Well, best of luck to you. Yeah. Um, and yeah, where can people, you. if people are listening to this conversation and they're interested in finding out more about Aro or donating to it, uh, where might they be able to find out more? Yeah, our website is actually www.aroonline.org. Uh, the U.S. listeners will see uh, Aro has U.S. page in that, uh, which has the U.S. details in that. Pretty much all, all the details are in the website. Okay, very good. Um, and we will have that link both in the show notes in your podcast player, yeah. if you look there, and also on the website again, that's ghccpod.com. Okay, very good. Well, anything else that we you didn't get to say that you were really hoping to? Uh, one point that I missed out on is uh, in India, another problem is the long-term side effects, hmm. monitoring of the long-term side effects because parents are not aware of it. Uh, even if the doctors will tell them, once the child is okay, they'll forget about it. And they will remember that only when there is a problem. And mm. you know that a lot of long-term side effects happen only in adulthood. Right. And um, so that is one of our major focuses. Actually, we make sure that they have that annual follow-up. And India is coming up with after-therapy clinics, actually. We don't have one in Coimbatore yet, but we make sure that uh, we ask the doctors to give us a protocol for the long-term treatment. You know, when, at what time, what needs to be checked, basically, for mm -hmm. each type of cancer. And we make sure that the family follows that. Wow. Yeah, that's very uh, good. Another point I forgot to mention, the parent support group, uh, what we majorly focus on is empowering the parents. Uh, this may not be needed in developed countries at all, but in India, this is one of the major problems. Uh, as in, uh, the parents actually don't feel confident enough to ask questions to the doctors. Maybe because they are illiterate sometimes. That social gap is enormous in India. It is not like that in US and all that. I know that, but it is different in India. So when the, their child is undergoing treatment, their participation in the whole process is very little. They just follow the orders. They do it without understanding it. So we empower the parents. Tell them that it is your child. You have every right to ask the questions and the doctor has to answer it. So a lot of parents now tell us that... Uh, you know, they met us after the treatment of their child. So they tell us that I know about my child's disease more now than when it was happening. That is one of the major focuses. Just a related topic. In Lyon, uh, just before the SIOP, actually Aro is part of an international study from 10 different countries. This is low and middle income countries. This is actually done by uh, PRDC group. 
and the study is about the parent sibling and other stakeholders engagement during the treatment so we studied uh, this stakeholder group after 5 years 7 years and 2 years of treatment and we presented the data in leon uh, so that workshop happened before the siop so uh, for 5 days all the 10 countries presented and we are working on that i mean we we are working on different parts of that it was very interesting to see that how there was least or even no participation of the stakeholders during the treatment hmm and so what did you find out we have come to uh, maybe major five or six themes but what talked it was communication or lack of communication because of which the stakeholder engagement was not there so the communication between the parent and the doctor between the parent and the child between nurses nurse and the parent nurse uh, social worker and the parent there was no communication on the contrary a parent who was there from us she actually treated her child half in uh, a developing country and half in um, us she said in us there was a communication information overload is what she said <laughs> she said she was made to sit down and the team uh, told her so many things over so many days and she said and when i went back home i used to get phone calls telling me or asking me mrs o and so have you clearly understood she said after the other country this was an information overload uh so we are analyzing the data again because it was just a presentation there and the major themes have been arrived at we are working on the first major theme which is communication now we are going back through our own individual data to come up with more information on communication uh we will be presenting in ottawa siop if you are select very good okay well you have so much going on it's very impressive thank you yeah, yeah. Okay, well thank you again for being generous with your time and speaking to us. And again, congratulations on your incredible work and thank you for what you do for these kids. Yeah, thank you so much Mark for the opportunity and thank you to all the listeners for listening and thank you so much. 